Today is a day when we celebrate Advent peace. Advent peace. And yet, there's hostility all around us. There's hostility in our world. You can think of the Ukraine-Russia conflict right now and the war that is ensuing there that is going on. You think of Myanmar, where in the last year there's been 13,000 casualties in Myanmar. Again, this ongoing conflict in that country. And you could say, well, is peace simply just the absence of conflict? But then you can move from the world scene to family scenes and through the last couple of years of pandemic, where many people have had differences of opinion around protocols and what should be done and not done, there are whole families torn apart this Christmas. Whole families this Christmas that aren't going to gather again, not because protocols don't allow for it, but because of the disruption that's occurred to their family, because of ways that people have interacted. And maybe it's not protocols that tore some of your family apart, maybe it's other things. But as we gather this Christmas, some will gather with full gatherings of family and others will gather with partial or none because of hostility and difference of opinion. And then you think of the perfect Christmas scene where people gather and they have something in mind as to what they want to accomplish that all falls apart. I experienced this yesterday. I was biking back from the gym in Westdale. I got to a certain point uh, kind of behind the trails and there was a group of 150 people there. It was a Santa run with kids and it was chaotic. I stopped my bike because Santa asked me to and, uh, and there were 12 or 15 Santas and there were a group of kids that were younger. They were maybe four and five year olds and they were crying and they were screaming, why are there so many Santas? There should only be one Santa. And I'm like, this is awesome. And they're screaming. And so two of the guys go to show them that they're not really Santa. They take their beards out and they just go ballistic. And now three or four others join in and they start to cry. And parents are trying to console them or people are trying to explain what's going on. And the guy is like, you know, I'm so sorry, sir. We'll let you go to me. I'm like, this is worth it. Like, this is so worth it. And then as they're doing that, um, the one kid says, hollers out, well, Santa has a real beard. Well, none of these men had a real beard. And so it just became chaotic. And in the middle of all that, two of the older kids hollered out, he's not real anyway. You know he's not real. And the kids are like, what do you mean he's not real? It's just your parents. And now all the young kids are crying. And so the guy said, I think we should just let you through. I said, sure. Um, I, I really wish I'd had my... my uh, in that moment, the wherewithal to be like, I should be filming this and put this on YouTube and make a lot of money right now, right? Sponsors, people like, wow, it goes viral, but I didn't. And so even as we gather for Christmas celebrations, sometimes you think everything will go right and it goes abysmally wrong and you're like, what is happening? But in your mind, it's all there. So what is peace? Luke 2, the angels, when they appeared together after declaring the one angel that the Savior Christ the Messiah is born in the town of David. They say this in verse 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appears with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God. This night is about God's glory and about the peace he's going to bring. This night is about the glory of God and what he is going to accomplish to him be the glory, and he's going to bring peace. Now, if you look up the definition of peace, it can mean free from hostility, free from conflict, tranquility. But I think it's so much deeper than that. What does it mean that the Savior, Christ the Lord, 
brings peace between God and us and each other. Well, it'll be on the screen, the verse, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark 5. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. What is the peace that Christ brings? Mark 5, 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So he's just cast out demons. He's now on the other side of the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so we, she can be healed and live. And Jesus went with him. We, this morning, witnessed the baptism of two of our children that have grown up in our church, of Rebecca and of Jackson. What would you do to save your child? What would you do to save your child? My son's now 21. Our daughter's 18, our oldest two. What would I do to save my kids? I would do anything. I would do anything I could. I would spend any amount of money. I would go to any length possible if my kids were ill to help them. I would do anything I possibly could. And that's this dad. He's a synagogue ruler. He's well-respected. He's godly. He's powerful. And he has means. And he's desperate. He's probably tried everything he could. And his daughter's really ill. He's heard Jesus is in the area. And so he goes to him. And this ruler falls at the feet of Jesus and pleads with him, my daughter's dying. Can you come put your hands on her so she can be healed and live? And Jesus says he will. And they make it on their way. And I'm sure Jairus in his mind is like, okay, we got to hurry. Let's, let's move it on here, guys. My daughter's ill. She could die any moment. A large crowd followed and pressed in around Jesus. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, her condition grew worse. So when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She thought, if I just touch his clothes, I can be healed. She'd suffered this infirmity for 12 years. She has been bleeding. And the bleeding not only doesn't stop, but as the doctors have tried to offer their cure, the cures have made it worse. She's actually become more sick. She's broke. She spent all she had, Mark says. She has no money left. She's considered unclean. That's a constant state she's in because of her bleeding. Anyone she touches, anything she touches becomes impure. So she's never allowed at the synagogue, and here she's there with a synagogue ruler. She couldn't go to the temple. She's not even named. Did you catch that? Jairus' name, she has no name. Likely no family because of her bleeding. Likely no one. Jairus has a large family. He has servants as he goes back. She has no one. She has nothing. And like everyone in those days, she's exhausted all of her options to get well. And so like Jairus, in desperation, she comes to Jesus. And it was thought in those days, kind of a mystic way of thinking, that the power of someone is transmitted to their cloak or to their garb, their garment. And she thought, if I could just touch it, if I can just touch it. I mean, 
Jairus comes right to Jesus face to face. She won't even come to his face. She just, if I could just come behind him and touch his cloak. And she does. Note this. He is a powerful, wealthy man. He is a distinguished leader with a large household. His name is Jairus. He approaches Jesus directly. She is nameless, destitute, and likely with no family. She is unclean, unwelcome, shunned with no honor. She approaches Jesus from behind. But they both believe only Jesus can help them. Only Jesus can help them. Jesus, God the Son, who incarnated himself, who clothed his deity with humanity, who was born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus, God the Son. You know what's good about Jesus? I mean, most of us in this room know him. God has saved us. We actually know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, we know that he's the first person we should go to. In knowing him, we know that when things aren't going well, whatever that may be in our families, friendships, difficulties we face, financial calamity, illness, whatever it would be, we know he's the first person we should go to. We should go to him first. We should pray to him first. We should come to him first. And so often that's not what we do. So often we brainstorm, oh, I can fix this. So often we move into fix-it mode, I, I can figure this out. So often before we pray, I mean, havoc wreaked at a family gathering. How many of us just pause for a moment and pray? When I first came to this church 28 years ago, I volunteered at the mission, at mission services. There was a godly man running the men's residence at that time, and I gave a few hours a week to them. The church said I could, and I went in just to volunteer a few hours a week at the mission to understand homelessness better, to understand the plight of those and their struggle. And I'll never forget being there. And nearly every time I was there, emergency vehicles were called, some crisis was called into place. And Tom would be like, I'm going to send so-and-so and so-and-so to go deal with the crisis. I need four of you to gather right in here and pray as we do it. He said, just pray. Because he said, we can't do this without God. The first thing we have to do is pray. So gather and pray, and as you pray, we'll go and look after them. Pray for us. Pray for those that are coming. Pray. Pray. I'll never forget that. We're in crisis. Pray. Something's happening. Pray. We don't know what's going on yet. Pray. And that's what they did. That's how they acted. Now, you know what the great news is? Even when you come to Jesus at the end, he doesn't turn you away. Even when you come to Jesus after you've done everything else, after you've brainstormed, after you've tried something, after you've made your phone call, right? Because you feel like you're on who wants to be a millionaire and you've called a friend, right? After you've done all of that and you say, oh yeah, I should, oh, I should go to Jesus. God the Son, the incarnate one. He's not like too late. Should have come earlier. No. He's like, I'm right here waiting for you. It is great news of the gospel. I am right here waiting. I won't turn you aside. I won't cast you out. I'm here, willing, ready to listen. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped after she tucked his cloak. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd. He asked, who touched my clothes? You can see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? Like, Jesus, there's a big crowd. We're all bumping into each other. What's wrong with you, bro? Like, that's what's going on here. Jesus, it's okay. Like, of course somebody touched you. Like, you see the crowd? Like, we're all kind of bumping into each other. It's what's going on here. And Jesus is like, no, this is something different. Jesus keeps looking around to see who had done it. Can you imagine? 
The disciples are like, what do you mean someone touched you? Of course someone touched you. We're all touching each other. Like, what's going on here? And Jairus is, hey, can we get going? My daughter's dying. But Jesus is looking around to see who touched him. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembled with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Jesus knew power had gone out of him. He knew someone had been healed. And she's trembling with fear. She's terrified. What if he's going to accuse her of making him unclean because that's what happened in those days? You're unclean. You touch someone. You make them unclean. She's now made the rabbi, the teacher, unclean. Of course, the irony that she didn't know was he's not only rabbi and great teacher, miracle worker, He's God the Son. You can't contaminate him. You can't make him unclean. She thought he might be upset. What right did you have to touch me? Why didn't you approach me first? Maybe she wondered if he thought she had violated him by taking power without asking. But Jesus asked for her to come forward, and she does. And note how kind he is. Daughter, he said, your faith is healed. You go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Daughter, he calls her. Daughter, like daughter of Abraham, part of the family of God. It's your faith that's healed you. You believe that by touching my cloak, you could be healed, and you were healed. Now, it's not faith in the cloak. I believe one of the reasons he addresses her is he wants her to know, it's faith in me. My cloak didn't heal you, I healed you. It's not power in my cloak, it's power that I have. He wants to treat her with dignity. He wants her to know that she can address him. He wants her to know that though everyone treated her as nobody, that she's not nobody to him. She's a daughter. And he'll treat her with respect. Though Jairus is named in a powerful synagogue ruler with means and family, she means just as much to Jesus as he does. And so with dignity and respect and grace, he addresses her. Because he didn't want her to tremble with fear the rest of her life. He didn't want her to second guess all of her days. Should I have touched him? Should I have done this? Should I have... Why didn't I say something when he asked? He wanted her to know that she was free and a child and able to go because her faith in him healed her. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus turns to Jairus after hearing that his daughter has died and said, don't stop believing. You came to me believing. Don't stop believing. And he walks with them to the house. We need to find hope in the arms of Jesus. When my grandfather was dying, he was 94, 2016. I was in the hospital with him as he was passing away. Our family was there. 
And my grandpa simply believed that he would live forever. That summer, he had driven to New Brunswick and back. My grandma had died years ago. He had been remarried after my grandma died, and she'd um, been gone a few years. And his new wife and my grandfather had been married almost 19 years. Um, and he was now 94. And that summer, he could drive to New Brunswick and back. He, he would say to me, I, I only, he used to drive, used to get up in the morning in Hamilton, like at 5.30, leave and be in New Brunswick that night at their cottage. And he would say, I can't do that anymore. I now need to do it in two days. I'm like, that's good for everyone, Grandpa. Right? That's good for everyone. And, um, and a couple of days earlier, as he was in the hospital ill, uh, we asked if there's anything he wanted to eat. And he said, could Amy make her apple pie? Because that was his favorite food on the planet. He, she made an apple pie just like my grandma. And so his last meal was an apple pie. But he was unsettled as he was dying. He was really struggling as he was there. And uh, John Mahaffey, his pastor from West Highland, came in and sat with me. And he looked at my grandfather. He called him Orn. I'd never heard anyone call my grandpa Orn before. That was his name, but it was always dad or grandpa. So he said, Orn, he said, the Lord has saved you. God is with you. He said, you don't need to be afraid right now. The one in whom you believed is able to carry you through. He said, your family said you thought you would live forever. He said, I want you to know you're about to. You are living forever because your hope is in the one who will carry you from this life to the next, Jesus Christ. And my grandpa's breathing calm right down. A smile came across his face. He took my hand, he looked at me, and he said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And shortly then after, he passed from this world into the next. Here, Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. So the Jewish wailers, they, they were people that came simply to wail at a funeral to let people know that someone had died. They were there, they're wailing loudly. He went and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. They all laughed at him. After he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them, those three. He went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Koram, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. And he graved strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he said, give her something to eat. You see, Jesus wants to show them that death is to Jesus like sleep is to us. You know, some of you have people that you live with, roommates, family members, that you need to wake up in the morning. They may sleep, some of you just turn to them, that's fine. Some of them sleep very soundly. I'm an incredibly sound sleeper until about an hour before I wake up, then I become restless. But in the middle of the night, I, am, I just sleep soundly. I remember one night somebody had called, Amy had answered the phone, she gave it to me, it was an emergency, I need to go to the hospital for someone. And uh, Amy said, okay, you're going to go? I said, yeah, and I just rolled over and fell back asleep. She's like, no, Dwayne. She's like shaking me. People just called. You need to get out of bed. And I'm like, for what? And she's like, for what? And she's not as sound a sleeper as I am. But, you know, I, I, I usually get up about six, quarter to six, and kind of until that time of the morning, 
until uh, about 5 a.m. I sound sleepy, sound pretty sleep, uh, I sleep soundly, that's what I'm trying to say. My S's are getting confused here. Um, and, and Amy waking me up is just like Jesus bringing someone back to life. And Jairus has a whole new thing to believe because he believed he was going to experience a healing. And now he's going to experience a resurrection, something he didn't anticipate. He only brings in the father and the mother, the three disciples, his inner circle. He kindly says to her little girl, which also could be translated in our language, honey, dear. It's, 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 it's a term of endearment. He's being so kind. Get up. And she gets up. Now, why does he say not to tell anyone? Well, he says not to tell anyone because his time has not yet come for crucifixion. And he doesn't want everyone to know the great magnitude of what he's able to do. Like, you imagine the mom, mom and dad in that moment. Their daughter's walking around. They're giving her some food. And they would just be elated. Their daughter has been healed. Now, back to peace, Advent peace. Why does Jesus tell the woman who's been bleeding, go in peace, you're freed from your suffering? Why go in peace? Is it just a simple salutation? Or is it something different than that? Remember, she was nameless, destitute, broke, unclean, unwelcome, shunned. That was her. Nameless, destitute, broke, unclean, unwelcome, shunned. And Jesus offers her peace. What is peace? Well, in the Hebrew, it's shalom. It's wholeness. It's well-being. It's welcome. It's flourishing. It's all of that wrapped into one. Jesus says, I'm offering you a wholeness right now. You're now part of the community of God. You didn't belong anywhere, but now you belong not only to God, but to his community. Well-being, you've been healed. You're completely healed from this infirmity. A welcome into my family and a flourishing. Now she can go to the synagogue. Now she can go to the temple. Now she could work. Now if she chooses, she can marry. Her life has been completely reversed from what she was experiencing. And Jesus says, I bring you peace. I bring you peace. It's the reversal of everything she had known. Listen to this from John 14. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid in Acts 10 and in Ephesians 6, the Bible talks about the gospel of peace. In Romans 5, Paul writes that you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, we're told he is our peace. In Philippians 4, that God grants us a peace, the peace of God that transcends all understandings will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All through the New Testament, grace and peace be with you, or joy and peace be be with you. It's the peace of God. And Jesus says, I don't give to you as the world gives. Its peace will be unsatisfying. You heard that today with Richard. That whether it's your academics and its pursuit, or a hobby in its pursuit, or your career in its pursuit, or family in its pursuits, that can offer momentary satisfaction, that can in essence allow the urges that you feel to be momentarily satisfied. It doesn't offer a satisfaction of the soul. Jesus says, I don't give to you as the world gives. I'm not giving you something that's fleeting. 
I'm not giving you something that's momentary. The peace I offer, I'm going to place right within you. My Holy Spirit will be in you. And he will grant you peace. There's no greater peace than that. Than God's Spirit being in you and whatever he's calling you to do, whatever it looks like, knowing that you're doing this simply because God has asked you to do it. God has said to do it. And you're at peace. Because God is there. I met with a couple a number of months ago who were heading to a closed-door country. I asked them how they were doing. They smiled at me and said, we're at peace. We're at peace. I said, what do you mean? They said, without any hesitation or doubt, we are convinced that what we are doing is exactly what God wants us to do. We know it's dangerous. We know it's unsafe. We're at peace. God is with us. The Spirit of God is leading us. Who can satisfy your soul? Only God. Only God can satisfy the soul. Only Him. The soul was made for God's satisfaction. Only His satisfaction. Only He can satisfy in that way. And He offers peace. Peace between us and Him. There's no longer hostility. Our war with God is over because of what Jesus has done. It's great news. I no longer need to be at odds with God. I'm now on his side. His kingdom come, his will be done. And his priest brings a wholeness. I'm incomplete without it. A well-being, I'll be discontent without it. A welcome into his kingdom and presence as his spirit is in us and a flourishing because I'll now be living the way God wants me to live. John 16, we looked at this passage last week at the end of the passage, verse 33. I told you these things, Jesus said, so that you may have peace. Told us what things? That though there will be chaos for a while while he disappears and the world will rejoice and the disciples will be sad, he will return. And they'll have a joy that can never be taken away. That then they will be able to speak and pray in his name and come to the Father in the name of the Son because all authority will be given to him. I have told you these things, Jesus said, so that in me you may have peace. In me you can know everything will be okay. In this world you'll have trouble, Jesus says. Sometimes there will be opposition from the world, from Satan, from the sinful nature. Sometimes it will just be plain hard, but in me you will have peace, Jesus says, though there's trouble in the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Jesse, you guys can come up. So the Luke 2 an angel, right? The glory of the Lord appears and an angel is there. And the glory of the Lord shines about. What does the angel say? I bring you good news of great joy. It's for everyone. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The Christ has come. The Messiah has shown up. The promises are being fulfilled. The Lord is here. It's Jesus to save us from sin. And so glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace. God, you've got this. Peace. God, you're still in control. Peace. Holy Spirit, you're leading me. 
peace. God, you haven't let go. You've heard me tell this before, but when the twins were growing up, I remember sometimes as I would carry them through our three flights of stairs, we have four stories, there's a basement and then three stories, we have an attic that's fully done, it's our bedroom. And when they were like two to four, they would want to have me carry them up and down the stairs sometimes, and they'd be in my arms, and I'd be carrying them, and sometimes they'd be clamoring for a better grip. But at the end of the day, what didn't matter was how strong their grip was on me. What mattered was how strong my grip was on them. What mattered was that I was holding my kids. It didn't matter how they were holding me. And so often, as the waves of this world come crashing in on us, we think, oh God, and our feeble hands are up just trying to grasp something of him. But his strong, abiding hand has gripped our hearts, and it won't let go. Is that not good news? And he grants us peace. Because God, the all-powerful one, is with us. Peace. Because God, who knows all, is with us. Peace. Because God, who has set times and places, orchestrated them by his might and will, is with us. Peace. Because the hostility that we had with God is gone. Peace. Because Jesus is our Savior. Peace. Because he will lead and guide us. Because he's our God. And we're his people. Daughters, sons, go in peace. Would you pray with me? We thank you that we can celebrate peace this Advent a peace that the angels declared would come, a peace between you and us, O oh God, for anyone who turns to you to believe. We thank you for that incredible peace that you offer, a peace that is greater than anything the world can give, and we thank you that when the world throws anything it wants at us, that you have overcome the world. We thank you for this encounter, for the dignity that you showed this woman, nameless, shunned, abandoned, that you granted her respect and love and compassion. We thank you that you also cared for Jairus and his daughter. We thank you that you grant peace. So this, may this Christmas, God, each of us be able to celebrate the peace that you offer, first between us and you in this relationship we can have with you, and then knowing that whatever you have called us to, wherever you have called us to be, that you will grant us peace. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.